Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is not Michael Shore. Michael, um, well, I'll get to that in a minute. I'll get to that in a minute. First, I need to to very quickly introduce uh, Michael's uh, pinch hitter and co-host, um, Alan Sepinwall. Alan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Joe. Very good. You did that very. You do that better than Mike, to be perfectly honest. Well, I listen to the theme song often enough that it's buried into my head at this point. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. Michael is, um, he is, he is, first of all, he's sort of busy this week, kind of crazy busy. He is uh, directing uh, this week, so he's kind of crazy busy. But even more, and and uh, I, I'm not going to go into too many details, uh, we had to put this thing off a week so that we could get a very, very special guest star. Not to say that you're not a very, very special guest star. You, wow, my you feelings are already hurt. This is they, great. They are hurt. when you when you find out who it is, though, you will you will say yes that he truly is a very, very special guest star. So, uh, so we're hoping to to uh, do that next week. Give you a a bonus podcast next week. Uh, if not, uh, if not the week after. You know, we don't we don't schedule things here on the podcast. I did I did mention to Mike. I said, well, you know, we we promise people we'll do this every two weeks. We return. We're making this thing professional. We're creating our own season. We're doing all these things. We're improving our microphones and sound. Although I don't know how how that's going. Um, and then like the first week after like we debut it, and then like two weeks later, he's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I don't have time for that. that, that does. <laughs> It doesn't seem great to me. That doesn't seem promising for for a new reliable uh, podcast. What do you think? It's it's not what you want, um, <laughs> as baseball managers like to say. But you got to you got to take it one podcast at a time. One podcast at a time. It's a hundred percent right. And uh, like I say, when people hear, uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't. I don't think I can oversell it, but. But when people when people get our new guest on, uh, they will they will certainly say it was worth it was worth the wait. So, uh, but this is much. We're gonna we're gonna do way better than we would with Mike anyway. And let's be honest, because because this is an opportunity for you, and this is what's so exciting. This is an opportunity for you to basically just go just geek out on the Yankees without having you know when it, when it's both Mike and I like down your throat, it makes it a lot tougher for you to geek out on the Yankees. Me, I'm going to let you do it. I'm just going to let you go. <laughs> well, I I'm I kind of resent this already because like Mike had to pick a week. He can't do it when the Yankees are besieged by injuries. You know, Aaron Judge is out, Gary Sanchez is out, Luis Severino has somehow forgotten to throw strikes. The team is doing okay, but they're kind of a mess right now. And so my usual role as insufferably smug Yankee fan <laughs> on the podcast, I can't really play it. It's very frustrating, Joe. Well, no, that's why I'm letting you geek out about it. If, uh, I would not have, if, if the Yankees if the Yankees were rolling, you would not be my guest. Let's let's <laughs> let's, let's not kid anybody here. I love you. I do. I love you deeply, dearly. <laughs> But no, if the Yankees are rolling along, I mean, I'm I'm only going to bring you on because they're not. Look, they're they're fine. The Yankees are fine. I, I, I the I I want to get a little bit of a sense of Yankee panic from you, just because I it's such a rare 
such a rare thing. But you and I both know, and we'll talk uh, individually about uh, about Sanchez and Judge uh, and and Severino as well. Um, but you and I both know it means nothing. It's all we're. It's not even August yet. Nothing. Nothing matters yet. No, it's very far away, and the odds of them slipping out of the wild card altogether seem oh, no, really, really low. No, they're so. not, that's not happening. Not happening. And not only that, they'll be fine. I mean, they'll be fine. But but we should talk about it. But but have you heard? I'm gonna I'm gonna play this uh, just for you. Um, well, not for just for you. I'm playing it for everybody. But uh, it's our new Yankee Minute theme song. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Uh, I'm so excited to hear it in person. Yankee Minute. Oh, that is so good. It is so good. I just can't begin to tell you how much I love that. Now, and, and you you have heard it because you heard the first podcast and you heard Mike's thinking that because my my love of it is it's sort of it sort of introduces in it's like a little jazzy. Oh, this is happy. And then it just turns very, very dark. I like it. It's sort of a it's sort of a breaking bad. It just gets, keeps getting darker as as the song goes on. How, how do you feel about the song? See, I really like the first half of the song. I think that's great. The second half, I feel, grossly misstates the position of the Yankees in the baseball universe. So if if I had a note, it's that. Yeah, you know, I I think the first half is the one likely to go. If if we ever if we ever change it, that little jazzy Yankee minute. Oh man, awesome! All right, so let's talk. Let's talk Yankees. Let's talk Gary Sanchez first of all. You know, I will say this, you know, and and Mike and I text each other pretty much on a daily basis complaining about every single thing that goes right for the Yankees, which does seem like a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm and, and that is not an exaggeration. Mike and I have exchanged a thousand texts this year, yeah. I would imagine, just complaining about and it doesn't even matter. He sent me a text the other day about the Yankees uh getting rained out when they were supposed to face a good I mean, it was it's just Every every day we believe is a conspiracy against us and for the Yankees. But I will say, Gary Sanchez has been kind of a beleaguered guy for a, such a good player and such a good hitter. This is a guy who who you know there was the whole thing last year about him not being able to catch the ball, and then and then this crazy thing with the not hustling and is he hurt? Is he not hurt? I mean, yeah. I will say he is truly he is truly a drama king. Uh, for the New York Yankees, it's wild. It's become this thing. I remember when Piazza, um, less so by the time he got to the Mets, but when he was with the Dodgers, there was this thing all the time where it was like everyone had to beat him up for what he couldn't do right. and seemed to be just ignoring all the things that he can do. And admittedly, Sanchez is not hitting well this year, at least for average. It's terrible. He's still hitting well for power, but so that makes it e- him an even easier target. But last year, he had a great season, and it was still too many pass balls, too many this. <laughs> And I'm not saying the pass balls aren't a problem, but when you have a guy who can hit as well as him and can throw as well as him and do the other catching things as well as he does, this is the one thing you kind of have to learn to live with. That game was not a good game for him, and I don't know if that was because of the groin injury or not, but that was ugly, and that then gives ammo to all of the Sanchez haters who want to play, you know, Austin flipping Romine every game. And like, let, let's make Gary a first baseman. Let's make Gary a DH. When the whole value of having a Gary Sanchez is you can put that kind of bat behind the plate, positional value. 
Well, and plus he's so, I mean, he really can throw and he really moves well. I mean, you would, you would hope it would be a much smarter and better thing to sort of fix the basic catching problems, which seems like they can do and not, not move the guy around and make him much less valuable as a first baseman. First of all, who knows? I mean, if you can't catch, then how, how is he going to play first base? I mean, that's first of all, Yeah. But but second of all, I mean, you're right. You're, you're taking away so much of his value. He's, he is not a standout. I mean, he could be conceivably, but as of right now, he would not be a standout hitter at first base. I mean, he, you know, he's, he hits with power. Most first basemen do. So the thing, so let me ask you your opinion, because everybody seems to have an opinion. Do you think that, that, there is some, you know, hey, he. I'm, there's no question he's hurt, all right? They wouldn't have yeah. – the, the whole conspiracy thing that they put him on the disabled list in order to sort of cover for him or what? They have nonsense. No that's chance. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. No chance that's true. But what do you think happened in that game? I mean, do you think that it was? I mean, the injury was, was there, and so that was part of it, or do you think there really is something – kind of going on in his head it has been a very weird year for him I mean or some combination of all these things I don't know um I I would like to think it was mostly the injury but I've read enough analyses of his difficulty with the pass balls to believe that to a degree that is an effort thing like uh, he's he's a high effort player in a lot of other areas and there's ways in which he could clean up the pass balls that he just isn't so if you if you believe that then maybe you can believe that there was a lack of hustle here but the fact that he had a groin injury when he's already had one um, and you know, didn't go after that ball and didn't you know, bust it down the line yeah. to first base, that's the sort of thing that would happen if my groin was hurting, I would think. Right, right. That's sort of what I thought, too. I mean, I thought, look, I don't, I don't know. I, for, for one thing, I mean, in those two cases, it looked bad, okay? But for one thing, I really, really am – down on the idea of fake hustle that that drives me insane when people are like oh you didn't even run that out when it's like a routine ground ball to shortstop I mean no he didn't you know what it's a long season and yeah in the ideal you want them to run it out but he wasn't beating that out I I don't like the idea of fake now in these cases both of those were game they affected the game so so it's different still I, I mean I don't know. I guess I lean toward the idea that he was hurt. I just lean toward the idea. I'm not, you know, he was hurt. He was playing through it and, and, and he didn't want to tell anybody he was hurt. And, you know, I'm sure he, you know, in both cases, he kind of, he clearly made a bad sort of mental choice. I don't, I think in both cases he chose not to hustle, but I think, I think that was preying on his mind was like, God, I'm in, I'm in pain here. Yeah, um, I think that was definitely, you don't want to sacrifice your body and risk an even worse injury for the sake of one or two plays, even if they wound up being the two crucial plays right. of you that don't game. Know. Yeah, you don't know that. You don't know that they're going to be the two crucial plays of the game. I mean, that's that's sort of the other thing. So, all right, well, he's going to be back, um, you know, and what are we expecting? Because he's going to... He's going to take a little bit of a beating, um, of course, and and he's dealt with that somewhat. And the New York crowds can be pretty tough. Um, what do we expect from Gary Sanchez the rest of the year? It'll be interesting. It sounds like he may not be back until Labor Day at the earliest, and he'll probably be a little slow when he comes back. So that's not going to help either. It's just it drives me nuts sometimes how uh, this definitely happens in New York, and I'm sure it happens in other markets too where the team's best player, or maybe second best in Sanchez's case, like takes an abnormally high beating 
you know, re- whenever the team struggles. Like, yeah. rather than say, it's the fault of all these other guys, it's the fault of the best player because he's not quite best enough. Right. And so, like, Girardi used to to talk badly about his defense a lot last year. These incidents have not helped. So I think the the fan base is already kind of primed to boo him, and I'm not looking forward to that. No, no, but you're right. I mean, there's, there's a long history of this. I mean... Who, who took more of a beating in Philadelphia than Mike Schmidt, right? I mean, yep. that's one of the all-time great players. And, and you know, and, and the thing is, if you dissect anybody, anybody, even players as great as Willie Mays or Mike Trout, and you dissect them on a day-to-day-to-day-to-day basis, look, they all – they all make outs more than half the time. They all, you know, don't get to to balls just out of their reach. I mean, you can always say, hey, we sh- they should be better. I remember in Kansas City, uh, which I was, this always cracked me up, uh, the young Carlos Beltran was so much better than anybody else on the team, right? I mean, there was, you know, the, the early days they had Johnny Damon and, and, and Jermaine Dine. Those guys were good. And Mike Sweeney could hit. But – Beltran, certainly over those five or six years that he was with the team, was by far the best player on the team, and he was by far the one that took the, the biggest beatings because he should have been better, he could have been better, he he steals at such a high rate, why doesn't he steal more, he plays such a great defense, why doesn't he get to more balls? I mean, it, it's just, it, it really is sort of a, a factor in baseball. And the Yankees, it's weird because none of that really has has gone to Aaron Judge. I mean, it's really all gone to Sanchez, which is yeah. kind of interesting. Because Judge, look, you can pick Judge apart too. He strikes out a ton and and you know goes into mega slumps and whatever. Uh, but he's a great player, and everybody admires him as a great player. Sanchez, not not so much. Well, I think Judge has a couple things in his favor. One, he had just that uh, unbelievable start to last yeah, season, sure and that bought him a huge amount of goodwill. He's always smiling. He's always upbeat. Very enthusiastic. In a way, you know, Sanchez is not demonstrative in that no, way. No. So I think that helps. And now he uh, Judge has the additional heat shield of Giancarlo Stanton, who was struggling even more than <laughs> right. Judge does at the start of the year, and now is playing great. And the sort of the one good thing about the Judge injury is, oh, we have another Aaron Judge to go play <laughs> right field because we're the Yankees. That, that's kind of nice. But I think it's definitely the personality and the love at first sight thing. Which, which was the same with Jeter. Jeter, you know, had that phenomenal play, I think, in his very first game um, where he, 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 you know, played a ball deep in the hole and threw to home. And from there, it was just his love affair, and it didn't matter that he couldn't go to his left and he couldn't do this. We loved Eric Jeter, and we will always love Eric Jeter. The only thing Mike is going to hear in this entire podcast is you saying, oh, so we, we lose Aaron Judge, we just have another one. We just have another Aaron Judge, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Look, yeah. I got to be smug when I can. <laughs> again, this has not been a great couple of weeks to be a New York Yankees fan. Speaking of not being smug, there there is one sort of panic button for the New York Yankees. There's one, yes. I, and I don't think it's Sanchez. I don't think it's Judge's injury. Everything will work out fine. I, I, I believe that, and I think most Yankee fans believe that. However, everybody knows that that rotation is flickering right it's always it's on the edge of being oh maybe not good enough and everybody knows it and the one thing everybody was always able to say is well but at least Luis Severino is one of the best in the game right that's we have him game one so yeah Luis Severino is I would say for the first time in two years really truly (sighs) struggling like in a different way might mean nothing might mean nothing we're in July don't don't know that it has any real bearing on on what's going to happen, but 
I want to hear it. There's a little panic, isn't there? A little bit of panic. I'm concerned. Concerned. That's all I want. We still have crafty lefty CeCe Sabathia, who has reinvented himself beautifully. He's 89. Did you know that? He's 89 (laughs) years old. Crazy. Crazy. I I love him so much. Tanaka, you know, some days you'll get the good Tanaka, some days you'll get the bad Tanaka. The good Tanaka is really good. Yeah. Sonny Gray, uh, that's that's a mess right there, and I don't know if he'll be on the team much longer. But yeah, I mean, the concern about Severino isn't just that he's you know, scuffling right now, which is not good, but every pitcher goes through it. It's the thing that people always talked about when he was coming up, that Keith Law always said, I think he might be a reliever because he's such a little guy, relatively, and he has such a violent delivery that, you know, if he was a big dude like Sabathia or Sale or some some other top pitchers, I would be a little less concerned, but I feel like he has more potential to have something go physically very wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. It's possible, and I would imagine every blip uh, in his in his game, you have to start thinking that way. I mean, you have to start thinking, is he okay? Is he fully healthy? All that. I, you know, I mean, again, this is from an outsider's point of view, yeah. uh, from somebody who doesn't want the Yankees to do well. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be worried. I wouldn't be worried. It, it's it, I, you know, he has. He has scuffled a little bit. I just think this kind of thing happens. Um, I think he'll be fine. And I also think just throw nine pitchers every game. I just don't even know what the problem is with with that with that bullpen and all those arms. And you you got to win, you know, four out of seven, or you got to win the wild card or whatever. Uh, I mean, nobody's, including Severino, is going to have a very long leash. And I just think, yeah, I it's. That to me, as an anti-Yankee fan, <laughs> that's what scares me. What scares me is that rotation is the one sort of weak link. When they're healthy, that's the one weak link in that lineup. And and you know, Sabathia is good, but he doesn't he doesn't scare you. You don't you know he'll 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 be good. He'll 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 do his five or six innings of you know three run two run ball. Uh, maybe better. You know, maybe not as good. But I mean, that's what you get. I don't think you're that worried about facing Tanaka. Uh, you're certainly not for worried about facing Sonny Gray right now or Jay Ahab for that matter. Yeah. Um, Severino's the guy. He's the guy right now. But I think even he, what you're really worried about is that Chad Green, Batansis, Chapman, Britton, uh, Robertson, those guys are going to come in and just blow you away. That's what worries you. No, and that's the one relief. I mean, look at the wild card game last year. What did Severino get? One out, right. and then it was it was a bullpen game. Uh, that and was the Twins, though. It doesn't count. It doesn't. The, Yan- the Yankees' dominance <laughs> of the Twins. You know, Mike and I write that every year. It's that that, that just doesn't count. Which extends apparently to Yankees Twins trades um, because <laughs> you know Aaron Hicks turns out is better than John Ryan Murphy. Yeah, yeah, that one that one seemed to be. Uh, uh, you know, why would you trade for a three-name person from the Yankees? Like, what? Like, what are the chances that guy's going to work out? But what's funny is he was a really. We had this line of catching prospects kind of blocking Sanchez's path, and I liked you know him a lot. And when the trade happened, I sent a direct message to Aaron Gleeman, you know, big Twins fan, saying you're really going to like this guy, <laughs> and that that turned out to be wrong. I don't think Aaron likes him. I really don't. I don't think yeah. he likes him. He doesn't dislike him. He's probably a nice guy. <laughs> oh, all right. So so what do you want for the rest of the year? I mean, are you are you you as a Yankees fan, you're look, you're in the playoffs. I, I, nobody's catching the Yankees from behind. But uh, 
you're also losing you're you're losing a little distance from the Red Sox. Not that yeah. as a Yankee fan that concerns you because you've uh, you've kind of come back before against the Red Sox, I guess. Yeah, but unfortunately they've come back against us, and I still feel the pain of that. Ugh. Well, not as much pain as the Red Sox fans probably feel. But my point is. Where are you? Are you like, hey, this race is wide open. I still want to win the division. I'm, I'm, I feel really good. Or is it sort of like, all right, I just want to get healthy for the playoffs and 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 win that wild card game. I, the division feels probably out of reach. We still have a bunch of games left at the Red Sox, so who knows? I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but it seems unlikely given health and given the lead that they've already built up. So yeah, I want us to be healthy for the playoffs, and I would like us to go further in the playoffs than we did last year, which means making the world series. Yeah. I bet you do want that. I bet you do. I bet that's, that's the great thing about this. It's, this... it's been almost 10 years <laughs> since the Yankees won a world series. Oh, stop. Now. Just stop. We're due. Just We're totally stop. Due. Oh, all right. That's it. That's all. This is going to be our whole Yankee <laughs> minute next week with Mike is just going to be me like reciting what you said and then having him respond a week later with fury and anger. All right. <laughs> So we move on from Yankee Minute, and we move on to a new segment that I'm very excited about, and you uh, you have graciously agreed to be part of uh, the Sports Movie Time segment. Sports Movie Time. Oh, I love that music. Love it. Love that song. Uh, not only have you agreed to be a part of Sports Movie Time, where we where we dissect and break down something from a sports movie, some it could be anything, literally could be yeah. anything. Last week we broke down, sort of in in, in some ways inspired by you, because I you uh, you tweeted about this, but we we uh, discussed and argued about whether or not uh, Dottie Hinson dropped the ball on purpose at the end of a League of Their Own, uh, which was a lot of fun. But uh, but you actually are bringing one to the table, so I want you to explain what are we what are we discussing on Sports Movie Time this week. Okay, we're going to talk about the greatest basketball movie ever made. That's Hoosiers, the 1986, I think, Gene Hackman movie, uh, where he's Norman Dale, disgraced former college coach, come to a small town in Hickory, uh, in Indiana, called Hickory, uh, takes over the team. It has barely any players, and their best player, Jimmy Chitwood, has quit the team. Uh, You know, he's been dealing with a lot of grief, uh, including the loss of the previous coach. And somehow, Norman Dale improbably gets this team to play his style of basketball. He's a very much a dictator. If you talk back to him, he benches you. If you talk back some more, you're <laughs> off the team. And slowly he learns, he rehabilitates the team. He really rehabilitates the town drunk shooter flatch played by Dennis Hopper in an Oscar nominated role. Um, and the team makes a run through the Indiana high school basketball tournament all the way to the championship game where despite like a significant disadvantage, uh, in size and athleticism, they have a tie game going into the final, I want to say, 10 seconds of it. Uh, and Norm calls timeout, and he decides he's going to use, you know, his own personal Larry Bird-type player, Jimmy Chitwood, as a decoy, run the picket fence play, and have Merle, his second-best shooter, take the final shot of the game, because everyone will be expecting Jimmy to do it. Hey! All right, lift it up! Lift it up! Here's what we're going to do! Jimmy, they're going to be expecting you to take the last shot. We're going to use you as a decoy. All of the players stand up in protest and refuse to say anything. And finally, Jimmy, who has like three other lines in the whole movie, says, I'll make it. And Norm agrees. So I have a number of things we need to talk about here. But the first one is, Joe, 
Do you believe, based on what we had seen of the players up to this point in the movie and their relationship with Norman Dale, that they would actually defy him in this big moment? Oh, it's a it's a very, very good question, because the question is very specific to did the movie uh, give us enough to believe that the players were going to act out uh, in an independent way at the end when they had been so, uh, you know, torn, you know, down throughout the entire film. So um, I've thought a lot about it since you first presented me with this notion. And I've decided for me, yes, the movie does indeed get, and I know you strongly disagree with this. So I'm, I'm waiting to hear for that, but I believe that yes, what happened in that huddle actually follows throughout uh, what is really happening throughout the movie, which is that the team is thinking more like him, thinking more like him, thinking more like him throughout. And they're being unselfish, being unselfish, being unselfish and all these other things. And then when it comes to the big moment, I think they look at their coach and go, you got to be out of your mind. You've got to be absolutely <laughs> nuts. We're we're in position to win this game and you're not going to let our best player do it. I mean, you've got to be nuts. And I think what 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 happens and the reason that Norman Dale uh, actually changes his mind is because he looks at him and he goes, oh, man, I have lost my mind. I that is I'm totally wrong i'm totally wrong here and and so he gives in to his players will so so i don't think it's so much acting out as as it's them all coming together all on the same page and then suddenly the coach kind of goes off the deep end and the players like reel him back in so that's how i view it okay i can see that and certainly like in the emotional arc of the movie it makes perfect sense because he goes from the dictator to the guy who will ultimately listen to the the democratic voice of the players and let them run the play, and we'll we'll talk about that too. But if there's a flaw in the movie, it's that it doesn't really do a great job of establishing any of the players other than Everett, who's the son of Shooter, and maybe Raid, who's the mouthiest one for a long time. Right. The rest of them are just kind of there, and most of them were chosen because they were good at basketball, particularly the guy who plays Jimmy, and that's, I think, why they didn't give him much dialogue. <laughs> so, like, you don't really get a sense that they revere Jimmy in the way that, like, some of the adults in the town do. And it's when Jimmy says, I'll play, you know, but only if Coach stays. If he goes, I go. And that saves Norm's job you don't really get a sense that the players care as much about this as the grownups do. And I know there's some deleted scenes in the movie and buddy, the point guard quits the team and then is suddenly back on it because they deleted that scene and he turns out to be their best defensive player. So that's a whole, but I just, I don't know. I, I watch it every time and I love the movie and the score is playing and Hackman is so good. And that always kind of pulls me out of it, even though I get what you're saying about how it's a terrible decision to have anybody but Jimmy take that shot. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. Well, the way I like to look at it is, um, could this ever have happened to Bob Knight? Like if Bob Knight lost his mind, which, you know, is certainly possible, and <laughs> and made a terrible decision, would his players ever like look back at him and sl and, and lash out? And the answer is no. I don't think, not not the not the young, fiery Bob Knight, that nobody would have done that. But then what I want to believe about the movie is that Norman Dale is not actually Bob Knight, that he has he has the Bob Knight qualities, certainly when he's younger, certainly when he was in college, he kind of lost his way. But 
Now he comes to the town. He kind of falls in love. There's like a whole small town thing that he that he learns to accept. He 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 sort of learns things from Shooter, and he's a different guy. He's a different guy at the end of the movie. That's what we want to believe. And I think the guy that he was at the end of the movie is the one that the, that in that moment, in that particular moment, the players would would look and say, "Hey." Jimmy's our best player. We all know Jimmy's our best player. We all know that he's the one that needs to take the final shot. And so that's, so I'm going to say that the movie gave me enough for that to be an acceptable, not just an acceptable, but a great ending. All right. So I'm not going to argue that point too strenuously because this was actually a decoy, much like he wanted to use Jimmy Chitwood for the larger question. Okay. Okay. So the players revolt. Norm accepts that they're right. And hit the play that he calls is literally. Honey, get the ball to Jimmy. Top the key. Spread <laughs> the floor. Let's go. How in the world does alleged master tactician Norman Dale against this big athletic South Bend Central team call like call no play at all? Just say we're going to give it to the guy that everyone knows is going to take the final shot, and we're going to set it up so that there's no trickery, there's no nothing. It's just him going one on one with the other team's best defender. What is that, Joe? Well, here's 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 my here's going to be my controversial contribution to this thing. I think Norman Dale is not a good X's and O's coach, and never has been. I think oh. I think what Norman Dale was really good at was building a team and developing a you know a certain a certain authority and chemistry. Uh, with chemistry being everybody sort of answers to him. Uh, he he has a a strong sort of sports compass. Uh, so, so he knew like, for instance, to keep four guys on the floor and rather than playing the, the mouthy one. So that was big. And, and, you know, and he was able to, to develop them and give them confidence and all that. But if you will remember, it was Shooter who was designing the plays. Shooter was the one that first came up with the picket fence, which is exactly where Norman went, by the way. Yeah. Norman went right to the picket. Oh, we're going to Shooter's play. We're going right for the picket yeah. fence. And then they were like, no, then he's like, well, that's the only play I know. I mean, he had no other ideas. <laughs> for what to, oh, we're not doing the picket fence. Why didn't they run the picket fence for Jimmy? Like, I don't understand. Like, why didn't they, if, yeah. if it's the, if you want to run the picket fence, just run it for Jimmy. And by the way, horrendous defense by the, by the uh, Indianapolis team they beat. Horrendous he gets the ball at the top of the key. You know he's getting it. How do you not double him? I don't understand. He just yeah. goes and makes one move, really, shoots the ball kind of wide open, doesn't even have a hand in his face, switch. Yeah. I mean, that's Yeah, it's, it's not like Jimmy Chitwood is Steph Curry where he just, like, dazzled <laughs> he dazzled the other guy out of his socks. He, he goes a little bit to the right and then a little bit to the left, and he rises and he fires. So... <laughs> And and the other team makes a bunch of other mistakes. Like they've got, I think, a six or an eight, maybe even an eight point lead with not a lot of time to go. And they're in the pre shot clock era. All they have to do is play four corners, and the game's over. And somehow they're still running plays. And Buddy and Raid keep stealing the ball. So, <laughs> you know, the the other coach is not great either. No, if you look at it. No, no. Look, I think I think Norman Norman Dale's a he's a program builder. That's what he is. He's a program yes. builder. You know, there are plenty of those in college who you're like, oh, they're they're really good at, at recruiting. They're, which obviously Norman Dale, very good at recruiting. Got the guy. Got Jimmy, you know, which, yep. was, which was really big. If by the way, if if I have a sort of question, like about, you know, did the movie 
basically give me enough to believe uh, a scene. I'm not sure. Does do uh, when Jimmy comes forward and says, "Coach goes, I go." Where did that come from? They had the only the only exchange we know they had was when when he came to the court and he said to him, um, "I don't care if you play or don't," and leaves. That's the only exchange, as far as I know, that those two guys had. And he was there when when he did the the total badass move of of like keeping four guys on the floor. So he was there for yeah. that. But is that enough? Where suddenly he's like, I'm not playing. I'm not playing. Oh, I'm playing, but only for this guy like that. It didn't feel like they developed that story enough. Yeah. And again, I think some of that comes down to the fact that Jimmy was not really an actor. I think there's like one or two other scenes where you watch him like watching practice from around a corner of the gym. So I think you could see a sense of like the fact that Norm did not pressure him to come back on the team when, when the Chelsea Ross character very much would have, and everyone else would have, when Jimmy kind of needed this time to grieve and be alone and Norm gave it to him. And he also saw like the system basketball that Norm was putting in. It's like, all right, I like this guy. I want to play for this guy. I guess I can buy that. It's like the thing in the huddle at the end. It's not (laughs) well-established enough, but you know, Gene Hackman and that score will cover for a lot. Oh yeah. No, look, the acting is so great. The action is great. The music's beautiful. It's, and it's fun. I mean, and it's, 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 it is the best basketball movie ever, but the the better the movie, the more we expect of it. That's sort of that's yeah. That's, it's, it's like you look at Friday Night Lights, which is the best sports show in TV history, and Coach Taylor, awful at clock management, <laughs> really, really glaringly terrible, like Herm Edwards level, worse than that. It's just he has no idea what to do when time is running out in a game, and it's. Yeah. What was And I noticed that because the rest of the show is so good. What was the what was the scene? Not that this is a great movie, because it's not. But what was the movie with Tom Cruise? Varsity Blues? Is that Varsity Blues with Tom yeah. Cruise? Uh, no, no, Varsity or what do you call it? It's not Varsity Blues, it's all the right moves. All the right moves, right. That's right. All the right moves where Tom Cruise where that coach makes the single worst coaching decision I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. And basically blames it on Tom Cruise. I mean, that's not right. That's not right. Yeah. All right. Oh, there's a lot of bad coach. We could spend like an hour on bad coaching decisions in fictional sports movies and shows, like the final play of Remember the Titans. But I don't want to like eat up things that you could talk about with Mike. Well, Lager. as we will every week. Every week we're going to do more of this. If if you like this, boys, tune in next week. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're pedantry with Joe Posnanski oh, and Michael. Oh my Schur. gosh, definitely. All right, so. We are going to do a draft. This is really exciting. You have been a part of drafts, but we've never done the draft together. And yes. just just us two. And so we are going to do a draft. And the draft is I'm 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 seeding the draft to you already, right? I mean, this is it's not <laughs> fair for for this draft, but I think it'll be a great draft. I'm 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 excited about it, but I'm seeding it to you already. We are drafting uh minor characters on television. We are drafting television minor characters and that's throughout history it's not current shows because frankly i don't have many current shows on my list um yep but they're minor characters and we have we have opened it up on what minor character can mean you have your own theory of what a minor character means i have my theory on what minor character means so we can discuss uh as we go forward but before we do that we should say uh alan what's your job again what what do you what do you do for a living Oh, yeah. I'm the chief television critic for Rolling Stone magazine that's and right. RollingStone.com. That's what it is. That's, I knew you were something involved with television. 
Chief television yeah. critic of rollingstone.com versus guy who doesn't watch much television. So just understand what we're getting uh, as we go into this draft. But because you are my guest, our guest, you are co-host, you get the first pick. Oh, all right. Okay. Then th- thank you for that, Joe. For my first pick, my feeling about minor characters is they can't be in the opening credits, or they if they are, they've got to be like 10 or 11 deep at, at most. Okay. Uh, in this case, I'm going with someone who you think of who is never a regular cast member of the show and only actually appeared, I believe, in four episodes, but people think he was in a lot more because he was so memorable every time. That is Harry the Hat from Cheers. Oh, very Played good. Like, very good. Great Harry Anderson. Yes. Yes. Explain. All right. So uh, Harry Anderson, this was before Night Court and anything else, uh, was a comedian and also a magician. And he plays this character, uh, a semi-regular at the Cheers bar, who's a con man who comes in all the time and runs these short cons where he hustles Coach or Sam or Norm or Cliff out of money. And it's just like, even when they know he's coming, he somehow manages to trick them every time. And it's this perfect synthesis of all the things that Harry Anderson did well and you could just go to youtube and look up harry the hat and each one of those is like a perfect little comedy short film you know where he just utterly flim flams everybody and then they used him one time uh a couple times as the bulk of the episode one of which is coach has to now go to this guy who keeps swindling him (laughs) for help to beat someone who has taken money from him and I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but um, I'm, I'm going to look up the name of the episode while Joe is making his next pick, so you can find it on Hulu or Amazon or Netflix and watch it. It's fabulous, fantastic. Uh, it is fantastic. As is Harry the Hat. Uh, I don't know if you knew this. This is something uh, that you might not know. Um, I'm writing a book about Houdini. I don't know if you knew this. Um, really, I, I never heard this before. I know huh. it's, it's weird. Uh, so Harry Anderson is. You know, in addition to being Night Court and Harry the Hat and all that, uh, he was a prominent figure uh, in magic. He was a very prominent figure as a as a magician himself, and yep. and, uh, and beloved, deeply, deeply beloved in the magic world, which was really it's really cool to hear people tell great Harry Anderson stories. Uh, so I think that's great, and I think that will also fit. It'll sort of fit my definition of what a minor character is. It fits because, as you mentioned, he's only on four shows, and the reason people undoubtedly think he was on more is because they they conflate uh, Night Court with Cheers. Yeah, so it's just it's but they're you know they were different characters playing different roles and all the other things. Um, my definition of minor character is they could never have uh, expanded the role. That is that is my definition. My definition is Fair. so like yeah so like like Fonzie was at one point a minor character. When the show first started, he was intended to be a minor character, but later he became the star of the show. And so there are lots and lots of people. In fact, as I was doing my my very, very limited research, most of the people who write about minor characters write about those that eventually like took over the show or eventually became the yeah. big stars of the shows, kind of the way Andy Kaufman did on Taxi where he was a very minor character, but then all of a sudden everybody was just watching it for him, essentially. So mm-hmm. so I am avoiding those entirely. So okay. I am going to try to avoid those entirely. So my first uh, pick is going to be, and, and the reason my first pick is because I think you'll probably have him on your list. So I, I want to, uh, the rest of them I don't think you'll even have on your list. But um, I'm going to take Gunther from Friends. Uh, Gunther being the, 
the uh, the coffee guy uh, on the show, who I guess appeared on basically every show, but it was never about him ever. They never even gave him like one show, as far as I know, that was about Gunther. He was just this creepy guy who was in love with Rachel. And Friends is not necessarily among my top 50 shows that I've ever watched, but uh, the girls love it. And, and of course I was, I watched it when it was out because it's, it, it was friends and you kind of had to. So I've ended up seeing a basically every friends. I think I've seen probably every friends episode. I've seen a lot of them. They are funny. A lot of them are. Uh, and I do always get a kick out of Gunther. So Gunther from friends is my first pick. Yeah, Gunther was not on my draft board, interestingly oh, enough. Oh, wow. Uh, you assume that. And I like Friends. Friends is, I think, around the top 50 in uh, TV, the book, the ranking of right. the 100 best shows of all time yes. that Matt Zeller cites and I did. Uh, I like Gunther. Gunther is a very good, like, sort of know-your-role character. Yes. He has the one joke, which is that he loves Rachel and hates Ross, <laughs> and that's all they ever give him to do. And it's great, and but it works fine. every time. It works. For me, it works every time. I, I, yeah. I, can get, I cannot get enough of Gunther just just glaring at Ross. No, very, very good character. By the way, the, the Harry the Hat episode I would recommend is season one, episode 19 of Cheers. Pick a con, any con. And I think basically every streaming service has Cheers at the moment. There you go. Pick a con, any con, season one. Everybody can find that very easily. Yes. Excellent. All right. So for my second pick, uh, I got a lot of comedy people here, but I'm going to go with somebody dramatic. Ooh. Um, Joe, you may have heard this. I wrote a book about Breaking Bad. I think I heard. Called, did I hear this? I think I heard this. Yeah, it's called Breaking Bad One on One: The Complete Critical Companion, and it's got you know essays on every episode of the show and interviews and things. And the paperback edition comes out in October, and the hardcover is available now. Um, but I would pick this guy anyway because he's so great. You know, beyond the excuse to shamelessly plug, that's Hector Salamanca, aka Tio, um, from Breaking Bad, yeah. played by Mark Margolis wheelchair bound never speaks at least not in present day there's a couple of flashbacks to when he's healthy and all he can do is like scowl and ring a (laughs) bell bell. like a hotel bell with his finger and what mark margolis is able to do with that scowl and with that finger and the way the show uses both of those things all the way up to his final scene which is one of the great moments in any tv drama ever uh i love him so so much and yeah he was always one of my favorites every time he would show up in my notes suddenly everything would go all caps you know t-o-t-o-t-o-t-o exclamation point exclamation point because he was such a delight you know within these extreme limitations that they put on him yes well you know what's a great pick i was actually uh considering taking his son uh who who had a much bigger role obviously in in the movie i mean the show um but yeah, there, it is impossible if you haven't seen it. You know, this is, I guess, season two. Is that or is it beginning of season he, two? Is that right? Or yeah, he first shows up early in season two. Tuco has kidnapped Walt and Jesse, taken them to this like weird shack in the desert, and there's a creepy old man there with a bell. And even then, he's already like causing trouble for Walt. Yes, yes, and he's he's just and it's it's hard to describe how much tension he can create without saying a word, without saying a single word, because you just, you just, it, well, he, he knows a lot. Let's just say that. So uh, I love it. That's a, and, and totally fits 
what I'm talking about as far as what I think a minor character should be. That is yes. precisely what a minor character should be. So my uh, second pick will uh, for minor characters will be from one of my all-time favorite shows. Uh, I am taking Bookman uh, from Seinfeld. Uh, Bookman was the uh, library cop, I guess. What would you call him? Library? Yeah, no, he call, he, I believe he referred to himself as the library cop. The library cop. Uh, who chases who chases Jerry down for a very very overdue um, uh, library book and uh, and he's the the it's it's so brilliant and so perfect no it's it it fits so many of my of my uh, ideas of what a great minor character is I don't even know the name of the actor uh, and I should he was in hard it's Philip well. Baker Philip Baker Hall Philip Baker Hall great. Nobody else could have done it. Literally no other human on earth could have been Bookman with the dragnet style that he did. And it was utterly perfect, utterly straight faced. I mean, you see Seinfeld, not that this was not that this was all that unusual on the show, especially in the early days. You see Seinfeld cracking up on the show like he cannot help himself. It's so funny and so perfect to have this crazed library cop. Uh, in his face with with unbelievable lines, by the way. Un- I, I assume written by Larry David and, and Seinfeld. Perfect script, perfect dialogue, perfect uh, casting, perfect acting. Uh, greatest, the greatest. So Bookman is my second pick. Uh, that's a great pick. I mean, Seinfeld, like we could just do a draft of minor Seinfeld characters. We really could. And it would run like 20 deep and we would not run out of good choices because, you know, Steinbrenner and <laughs> Jay Peterman and Mr. Kruger and Babu and everyone, oh. you know, the Virgin, all of the Newman, all of these people are so good, including some that we never actually even saw, like um, uh, Bob Sacamano. Bob Sacamano, you know, the, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Like that, that show may run deeper in great minor characters than any other comedy or show ever. And Bookman, he's only in one episode, but like you say, it's so perfect. That's a great, great pick by you, Joe. Excellent. I feel good. I feel good now. All right. Let's see here. Uh, Mike sure is not on the podcast this week, but he's going to be represented on the podcast this week because with my third pick, I am taking from Parks and Recreation, Perd Happily. <laughs> Bird Happily is so um, comedy writers sometimes talk about this thing called like a hundred percenters where it's someone every time you go to them, they will get a laugh and you don't. And the key to that is you don't go to them that often. You know, Cheers had that guy in the bar who said Sinatra. Purd yes. um, is like the Parks and Rec equivalent of that. It's just he's the local anchor man. He's a complete idiot. He says everything incredibly literally and like over explanatory everything. You know, the story of these nuts is. <laughs> They're mixed. They're mixed. Uh, you know, or the 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 statement this reporter has is a question. Um, and it's just Jay Jackson, who was a real news anchor at one point in his life, and now pops up on other shows, much more serious than Parks and Rec, playing news anchors. And I always just assume that it's purred because that amuses me. Uh, like Parks and Rec, one of the great comedies of all time. Everyone on it. Super, super funny. But like, if you could pick someone outside of you know Ron Swanson or anybody else in the main cast, it would have to be Purd. Purd is just an unbelievable character. Just an unbelievable because <laughs> he's everybody's favorite character. You cannot you cannot watch the show without you know it. It's it such a 
such a joy when there's where there's a purred moment, right? When they cut yep. the purred and you just oh, you just are dying to hear what what they put in his mouth. And God, I give the actor a ton of credit. He's I mean, the look, anybody can sort of play that cheesy, you know, anchor type of guy, but nobody plays it like him. Nobody can play that that role the way he does. Excellent pick. I had a couple from Parks and Rec. Uh, beyond uh, Pert Happily, but I think that stands. I think Pert is is so good. Uh, I think that's an excellent pick. All right, with my third pick, I'm going to pick, this is sort of the, I would say this is probably the most main character I've, I've got. I mean, he's, he's certainly a, a minor character, but he's the closest maybe to a main character uh, of, of any of the ones that I'm going to pick. Uh, I'm picking Toby from the office with my third pick. Oh, yeah. okay. And the reason I like Toby from the office, uh, and, and I will admit that there, there's one sort of issue that I have, because as you know, my definition of it is that they, they cannot, the role can never expand. Like the idea, like they, like the joke can never get old, uh, because you won't let it, because you won't let the character become bigger. You know, I, I always yeah. think about, you know, everybody talks about jumping the shark, but I always think that that really the moment when Happy Days and those kinds of shows stop becoming even watchable are when just showing up on the screen gets people to clap for you. Like, yeah. oh, hey, look, it's Mr. Cunningham. Yeah, you know, like who, when it happens, that's that is like the most negative thing that can happen to, to me to a television show. So, I want the minor characters to stay minor. The joke is that Michael hates Toby. That's the joke. And the joke is at its best when you really don't know why. You have no earthly idea why. So they kind of, toward the end, they kind of gave Toby a few characteristics that might suggest why he why he hates him, which, which I have to admit kind of wreck the joke a little bit for me. So I'm thinking of Toby, yeah. the first three or four seasons, maybe five seasons, three or four, probably all the way up to the end when Toby leaves uh, the first time um, where there is just a bitter, violent hatred for Toby. And nobody knows why and Toby just seems like a normal, <laughs> normal HR guy seems perfectly level headed, normal guy. And, and yet they, they, Michael's hatred of like of a thousand sons, how much he hates him. Uh, I can't get that joke enough. I love that joke so, so much. Yeah. And it, Toby is sort of on the receiving end or at least involved in a, like three or four of the all time great office <laughs> moments. One of which is obviously he comes back from his trip after um, the company has replaced Michael's girlfriend. She's gone to another branch. So they need a new HR person. And Toby comes back and it's just Michael turns around and sees him and screams screaming. over him like, no, 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 God, no. And you will see that if you're on Twitter. People use that, you know, meme all, all the, the time. time. And it's, that's perfect. But there's a couple of others. There's one where I forget the context of the episode, but Michael decides he's, he needs Toby to do his dirty work for him. So he pretends he's going to be his friend. And Toby like falls for it hook, line and sinker and does it and fails and goes back to Michael's like, hey, buddy, sorry, I couldn't do it. And Michael immediately, like, throws him <laughs> under the bus again. And he's Toby's like, yep, yep, that's about right. Um, and then there's one where he tries to ask out Pam because he always had the crush on Pam. And it goes very badly, and he just runs away and leaps over a fence. That's <laughs> very fun. Um, it's very fun. I'll give you my, my favorite yeah. moment. My favorite moment was when uh, – I don't remember which uh, – which, 
uh, season it was, but when they were doing the 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 casino night in the in the yes. place, and uh, and Michael decides they they're going to give it for charity, and they want it to be the Boy Scouts. And so Toby comes in and goes, we can't be the Boy Scouts. And he goes, why not? And he's like, uh, because there's going to be alcohol there and swearing and these are kids and it's a school night. And, you know, and Michael just glares at him and says, I hate so much about you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just, it's, it's, so great. it's great. It's a great. Point. I actually next on my my board and I think we're we don't have to stick to this like one person per show, but I'm going to. Uh, I had Creed Bratton, yes. who is a great, a delightful great character. Creed Bratton as Creed Bratton, which is my favorite <laughs> part of it. Um, and just he was—he's another one hundred percent. Where every time you go to him, it's funny. But Toby is marvelous as well. Well, Creed—the the scene, the scene where they set up Creed, so he thinks he's blogging, but he's actually just typing into a word file. Yes. Yeah, Creed thoughts. Creed thoughts. Oh, it's the best. The best. <laughs> okay, let's see here. All right, so since I can't go with Creed. Um, I am going to go with somebody else from that, like NBC Thursday lineup, um, of the, the late aughts and early teens. And that is Chris Parnell as Dr. Spaceman uh, on 30 Rock. So great. Leo, Sp- <laughs> Leo Spichemin. Um, like 30 Rock is maybe the greatest show of all time in terms of ridiculous names. And Leo Spaceman, pronounced Spichemin, <laughs> is the best of the names <laughs> he's the worst doctor you could possibly have he knows nothing um and it's just it's terrifying to hear him talking to imagine him as your doctor but in the like absurd world of 30 rock of course tracy would go to him uh i love him he always 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 made me happy it's a great pick it's a great pick boy 30 rock there, there just has not been a show like 30 Rock. I mean, as far as I, I remember once, I think I might have even blogged about it. And I can't remember the exact context, but I remember they spent honestly 15 minutes of the show setting up one line. There was one line yeah. and they had to make all sorts of like crazy plot twists and turns and all this all so they could get exactly one line. And I thought that's a writer's show. Right there. That's if you're yep. if you're willing to go to that length. It was a great line. If you're willing to go that length to get that one line, that's a show that I totally admire. So yeah, uh, it's a great pick. It's a great pick. All right, with my fourth pick, I'm going to go away from uh, from comedy, and I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Prop Joe from The Wire. Oh yeah, man, yeah. I was saving him <laughs> for five, and I thought I could get away with Leo Spaceman first. <laughs> Damn you, Joe Posnanski! Damn you! Uh, I cut you. I undercut you. I could sense. I could sense you getting ready to move away from the comedies. I could sense it. Oh, uh, this hurts. So this really hurts. I mean, okay. Prop Joe is. I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, look that you want to talk about a show that had unbelievable minor characters. I mean, basically everybody was a minor character, right? I mean, there was no. There was no. The show was not about anybody. I. I, I remember. Yeah. I remember the shock and, you know, you, you would recommend it because I saw The Wire after it was finished uh, and you recommended it. I said, what show, if I can watch any show, I've seen nothing. What should I watch? And you said The Wire, which I did and loved it. And remember, you said, you said, I think at the time, hey, don't find out anything. Just let it, let it just come to you, right? Don't find out. Yes. So I knew nothing. And so suddenly I'm watching the second season and I'm going, wait a minute. So who's, 
where's where's like Jimmy? Like where's where, like this show was about Jimmy McNulty, and now this show is not at all about Jimmy. He's not even on the show anymore. Yeah. And I, you know, it was wild the way they would switch that. But never a moment, never a moment, I didn't want to see Prop Joe. Like if Prop Joe showed up at any scene at any time, and there were, and he was always, you know, he was. He was getting into his devious stuff, whatever Omar said. You know, he's getting into his in his world. Every time he showed up, he just made the whole show light up. I mean, it was he was so great, just so so great. So, prop Joe. Oh, I love him, Robert Chu. That's great. Like the the episode where where he and Avon have the basketball oh. game, and he's like coaching <laughs> in a suit and tie on a very hot summer Baltimore day lovely he, he like he runs his business out of the pawn shop and he actually like er, er, clock repair shop whatever it is and he actually fixes the <laughs> clocks everything about him is just perfect oh my god i'm really i can't believe i did that i went for the instant gratification of dr spaceman and when i should have just used prop joe while i had prop oh. joe i'm so mad at myself like i don't you're like alan's gonna win this draft you got prop Joe. Ah, I got prop Joe. I got prop Joe. Wow. All right. We are down to our last pick, yes, right? We are. Oh my God. All right. Let me think here. This is really hard uh, without him. Uh, I could go with like, you know, Marty Funkhauser from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Who's, who's dismay sure. at the way Larry treats him, you know, and it's always disappointing <laughs> him always makes me work. Uh, but I've had, I've had The Sopranos on my mind a lot lately because I have a Sopranos book coming out uh, in January for the 20th anniversary of that show. And what is it called? It, it's going to be called The Sopranos Sessions. It'll have, again, essays on every episode and a new series of interviews with David Chase where he may reveal some things that you would not expect him to reveal. Exciting. Exciting. This is in January. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, All right. So I'm going to go with Gloria Trillo, which is the... The Tony's love interest from late in season three, played by the great Annabella Shiora. Um, just that, I mean, that show moved in a lot of great people. And, yeah. she, and you know, I could go with anyone, but a lot of them don't fit my definition because they wound up in the opening credits at some point, like Johnny Sack or, you know, even Patsy Parisi. But, like, she turns up. That's the season where Tony's mother dies at the start of it, and the show is kind of casting around, and they don't know what quite what to do. And then all of a sudden, this like incredibly sexy, charismatic, uh, and strange woman pops up in Dr. Melfi's waiting room. And Tony is entranced by her, as we are. And she just takes over the show for four or five episodes uh, and is great and leads to a bunch of different all-time Sopranos yeah. moments. And she is dynamite. And I love her and I love that character. It's a good pick. It's a good, strong pick. I mean, that's the, you know, again, Sopranos, another one that does have tons of great minor characters. Yeah. just kind of, you know, in and out of the show. Uh, but a great pick. That's a great pick. All right. With my, with my fifth pick, I've, I've got it down to, you know, to a few. Uh, so I, I will list off the, the two that I'm not going to take and then go with the one I am going to take. Uh, I was think very seriously thinking about taking Ronnie Gardaki. From Ooh, the Shield, okay, yeah, I know, which is weird. Uh, two two reasons I'm not. Well, one, I, I really was taking it. He's a great character, and and he's uh, he he uh, is actually the actor is a guy named David Reese Snell, who is a uh, very very good friend of mine uh, for for a long time ago. He's from uh, from Kansas City area. Spent a lot of time in Kansas City, and so got to know him many years ago. And uh, so he's a very good friend. 
And uh, and I love that he he built that character because it started off as a truly minor character. That's the reason he I'm literally not. doesn't speak in the pilot because they couldn't afford to have another character on the show. And Sean Ryan was also old <laughs> friends with him and said, "Look, just David, show up. You'll be in the background. You will be a glorified extra, and I'm going to find some money in the budget for you." And he did. It's great. And it's great. And he just kept getting more and more because he, the character himself is very, very strong and loyal and, and wonderful. Um, but, but that sort of breaks my rule because the character did become, I wouldn't say necessarily major, but he was one of the major characters whether by the time the show ended. So, yes. so I, I can't do that. Uh, my other option that I'm not going to do is Janet from the good place who I think is, is fantastic. Um, and, and obviously want to do something for, for Mike. Uh, but my feeling is Janet might be a little bit too major a character. I think she, she, is. she is definitely playing a, a much bigger role on the show. And, and plus she plays multiple Janets. And so, so I'm not going to go with Janet. So I am going to go with my final pick is, uh, from Mad Men. I am taking, and I don't even know her last name, uh, Rachel, who was, uh, the first sort of, as, as I recall, the first sort of like love interest for Don uh, that we saw, she was a she was a Jewish store owner who who sort of matched wits with him at the very beginning, and and there were sparks between them, and you didn't really know where it was going to go, and and it was sort of you really kind of got a sense that that Don felt overmatched in some ways, and she was a great character, and then she was just gone just gone they just they just i don't know what happened but but she was just gone and i loved her i love that character uh so i'm gonna go with rachel from mad men as my fifth pick yeah her last name is rachel menken technically she is the second love interest because when the show starts he's already having an affair with midge uh the the bohemian artist from downtown and i think for a little bit he's juggling her and rachel and betty but no, Rachel is definitely like of all the different Don Draper love interests, she is very clearly the one that got away, and they dealt with that quite nicely towards the end of the series when he yes. finds out that that you know what's happened to her. Um, and that's no, that's a great pick. Maggie Sip was so good in that role, and she's yes. now on, she's now on Billions and doing great work there. Um, outstanding. I've thought about a bunch of Mad Men people like Freddie Rumson, and yes. that's another show again, super super deep bench. But then, you know, I wouldn't have taken Roger Sterling, even though he's super quotable, because he's a little too main. But she's great. I think a little too main. He's a great character. Great character, but a little bit too main. So there we go. This is this is fantastic. So we have done it. We have done a draft. How, how does it feel to just sort of be a main drafter? Yeah, I mean, because the, la- the only other time I did it was the Christmas songs draft, which um you know was mainly memorable for brandon mccarthy's <laughs> love of trans-siberian orchestra so yeah, i don't yeah. even think it really mattered who won that one but this this feels good because i i listen to these drafts all the time and i'm shouting out no how could you go with that you know you got to take the spoon first um so and, and now you're going to listen to this and you're going to be shouting out how could you not take prop joe with your fourth I'm, I'm so mad and the, the other thing is you know in true podcast tradition I did no preparation for this draft. It was literally, <laughs> I, you told me we were doing it, you're, and you're then I completely forgot about it, and we start recording, and you say, and we're doing a draft. I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> so as we were doing the Yankee Minute, I'll tell you how the sausage was made, I have my phone out, and I'm just sort of jotting down names. So um, somehow I came out with a pretty good list, but I think you did too, Joe. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to hold my own against uh, against a superstar like yourself. So, well, 
I got to tell you, this is great. I don't even know if we need Mike back, but uh, but I think Mike will be back next week with another very special guest star. But in I'm, the meantime... No, I'm very happy to play Miguel Andujar to Mike's branded Drury, if you want me to. Ooh, I, 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 the very first thing I'm going to say to Mike next week is that you said you were playing the Miguel Andujar to his branded Drury. He's going to find that to be... Uh, just another reason to despise you. Is oh, really I, I cannot wait to hear Joe, uh, Mike reacting to all of this. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be great. Well, hey, thank you so much for doing this. My absolute pleasure, Joe. Anytime.